Hello, and welcome back to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 23. Today, we are going to be covering the infamous serial killer, Carl Panzram. Now, many people consider Carl to be the most vicious American serial killer. The six-foot-tall, tattooed man with icy gray eyes operated as a solitary crime wave for 18 years. He committed robberies, rapes, and murders in various cities across several countries. Despite being hanged at the age of 38, his crime spree lasted over 20 years. He admitted to more than 20 murders and the rapes of up to a thousand men and boys during that time, in addition to the other crimes, including burglaries and arsons. According to a book by Brian Innes, Serial Killers, Shocking, Gripping, True Crime Stories of the Most Evil Murderers, Carl never expressed regret for his crimes, stating, quote, My conscience doesn't bother me. I have no conscience. I believe the whole human race should be exterminated. I'll do my best to do it every chance I get. But how does a man turn into such a sadistic killer? Well, let's start at the very beginning. On June 28, 1891, Carl was born in rural Polk County, Minnesota. His parents, Johan, John, and Lizzie Panzram were Prussian immigrants who operated a barren farm. They later had five more sons and a girl. And before truancy rules would make it illegal for parents not to send their children to school, Carl and his six siblings were forced to work on the farm from a very early age. Carl would later recall that his parents made him work in the fields all night long since they were unhappy about sending their kids to school during the day. He later said he only got around two hours of sleep before he had to wake up for school, and starvation and chaining were both acceptable forms of punishment in his home. Carl would start acting out around the age of seven, after his father Johan leaves the home. Uh, And he leaves because he doesn't want the life. There's no divorce, his father just simply abandons his family. So the following year, when he's just eight years old, Carl will be detained for being intoxicated and rowdy. He then develops a penchant for burglary, entering into a neighbor's home and taking several things, including a pistol. When his brothers learned what he did, they beat him until he was unconscious. Carl is then sent to the Minnesota State Training Center, a juvenile reform facility, after being caught for the break-in in 1903 at the age of 11. Carl later alleges in his memoirs that staff members routinely beat, tormented, and raped him in a workshop that the children called the paint shop, since he left the space painted with bruises and blood. He claims his first murder victim was during this time period, a 12-year-old boy at the facility, though this claim has never been independently corroborated. Carl received minimal formal schooling, He had trouble reading and was frequently disciplined. On July 7, 1905, he uses a homemade firebomb to burn the school workshop down. After that year, having developed his skill as a liar, he persuades the staff that he had changed and was therefore allowed to return to his mother's care. He told her that he wanted to become a priest and convinced her to send him to the nearby Emanuel Lutheran Church. But once he got there, he threatens a teacher with a revolver. He loses it in the scuffle, 
but he's then expelled as a result. Carl boards a freight train leaving Minnesota two weeks later and sets out on the road as a drifter. He claims that shortly after, four transient men gang rape him, leaving him terrified and more enraged than ever. A year after leaving, Carl will lie about his age and join the army at only 15 years old. However, his military service is very brief. He's found guilty of larceny for stealing supplies valued at around $80 and is sentenced to prison at the United States Disciplinary Barracks at Fort Leavenworth between 1908 and 1910, with U.S. Secretary of War William Howard Taft formally approving Carl's sentence. According to Mercity for All That's Interesting.com, Carl describes his experience at Leavenworth as, quote, I was a pretty rotten egg before I went there, but when I left there, all the good that may have been in me had been kicked and beaten out of me. It would have been a terrifying sight to see the U.S. federal prison in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. It was a true fortress, enclosed by concrete walls that rose to a height of 40 feet and sunk 20 feet underground. The prison, which was situated on more than 1,500 acres of flat, open terrain, was originally constructed after the Civil War to accommodate military captives. Despite being consistently used since that time, by 1890, the facility had deteriorated due to underfunding and neglect. By 1895, a new construction strategy was in place, and a few years later, actual construction work started. All of the construction work and manual labor was done by prisoners held in the former Civil War unit. The prisoners finished the major part in the middle of 1903 and more than 400 convicts are transferred to the new facility later that same year. Its prison walls, which encircled four barracks and several ancillary structures, contained almost 23 acres. All of the inmates from the old section of the prison had been successfully moved to the new prison by 1906, two years before Carl Panzram would arrive. Carl initially would enter the dark quarters of Leavenworth Federal Prison in May 1908, with his hands chained and leg irons firmly fastened. He was treated like any other male because the prison administration was unaware that he was only 16 years old. Regardless of the weather, prisoners are required to stand in formation every morning. Guards enforced a tight system of obedience and discipline. Like many other institutions of the time, a stringent rule of silence was upheld, and any inmate seen talking out of turn received a beating and was placed in isolation. In 1910, after being discharged, Carl had nowhere left to go. He'd already spent a significant portion of his young life in reform institutions in prison, despite being only 19 years old. Any glimmer of hope that he could develop into a responsible adult citizen was effectively destroyed in Leavenworth. Physical torture and years of abuse had left their mark. He lacked a true home, any family who loved him, and any hope for the future. After being freed, Carl resumed his old habits and developed into a more vicious criminal, assaulting and raping a large number of his robbery victims. He would often be apprehended and given sentences for a range of offenses, most notably theft. He was detained in several jails and reform institutions for various atrocities, he spent nearly 20 years of his life in prisons, jails, and rehabilitation centers. 
He served in various institutions using both his real name and other aliases. He would serve time as Jeff Davis in the Montana State Reform School in Miles City, Jefferson Rhodes in the Montana State Prison, Jeff Baldwin in the Sing Sing Correctional Institution in New York, John O'Leary in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Jeff Baldwin in the Clinton Correctional Facility in New York. And early in the 20th century, prison in America was a particularly horrible place to spend any amount of time. They were generally inhumane and conditions were appalling. We had places like the infamous Florida torture camps, Sing Sing in New York, chain gangs in Georgia, and other prison locations which served as examples of the pervasive brutality that would take place in American jails. At the time, there was no national uniform standard for the care, treatment, or even rehabilitation of prisoners. Although unproven and not investigated, the idea of punishment as a deterrent was largely accepted in the criminal justice system. Most of the time, it's up to the warden to create and implement a practical code of behavior for prisoners. We're going to jump ahead now to August of 1920, and Carl will have just arrived in New Haven, Connecticut. While robbing homes there, he ends up in the residence of former president, William Howard Taft. At this point, Taft is serving on the Supreme Court, and his term as president had already come to an end. Nonetheless, Carl had a personal connection, even a vendetta with Taft, because remember Taft had served as Secretary of War while Carl was in the military. That means that Taft had signed the orders that ordered Carl to prison at Leavenworth. So Carl is clearly harboring a bit of resentment. He grabs some cash, as well as Taft's personal gun, which according to Carl himself was later used in a number of homicides. With the money he stole, Carl will purchase a yacht, and he uses it to lure sailors with the pretense of work before deciding to rape and kill them at sea. He'd then discard their bodies overboard, and this is all according to his subsequent confessions. Later, he'll claim to have used this method to kill at least 10 men. Eventually, Carl makes his way to Angola, where he would resume his criminal career, and that included murder, rape, and many other crimes. It's there that he allegedly murders six men and feeds them to crocodiles. According to his confessions, he'd also rape and murder the first of at least three young boys in Angola. But a year later, he'll decide to leave Africa, traveling to Lisbon. However, it turns out that he's actually wanted by the authorities in Portugal who had become aware of his killings in Angola. Carl then makes the decision to go back to the United States. And when he returns, he proceeds to continue to rape and kill men and boys. He could easily overwhelm the majority of his victims because of his strength. While Carl was a terrifyingly adept killer, he was also kind of a terrible thief. Carl would be detained in Baltimore on August 30th, 1928, for robbing a dentist residence in Washington, D.C., where he would steal a radio along with some jewelry. Now, the majority of the jewelry will be recovered, and three more men are detained as conspirators. 
Although Carl gives his true name, he lies by saying he is 41 years old and that he's from Nevada. He admits while being questioned to killing three young boys earlier that month, a 14-year-old newsboy in Philadelphia, one in Salem, and one in Connecticut. It was verified that Carl had killed a boy at Pier 28 on League Island, close to Philadelphia, in August of 1928. His other confessions have not been verified. Later, Carl actually admits that he had considered carrying out additional atrocities, things like contaminating a city's water system with arsenic or scuttling a British warship in New York Harbor in order to start a war between the U.S. and Britain. Because of his most recent arrest, uh, Carl goes to trial and receives a 25-year-to-life sentence because of his lengthy criminal history. He'll again enter Leavenworth Federal Prison, this time as inmate number 31614. He also informs the warden that he's going to kill the first man who bothers him. Carl is made to work alone in the prison laundry facility because they consider him to be psychotic. And it's here that the foreman, Robert Warnke, was known to intimidate and harass other inmates. Despite Carl telling him to back off, Warnke quickly enrages him, and Carl kills him on June 20th, 1929, by hitting him over the head with an iron bar. He's found guilty of this murder and given the death penalty. Later on, when advocates for human rights and those opposed to the death penalty would offer to intervene on Carl's behalf while he's on death row, Carl will famously reply, quote, the only thanks you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck and that I had my hands on it. So Carl clearly wasn't making many friends in prison, but he did have one. Carl had a guard named Henry Lesser, and Lesser, in contrast to other guards, showed Carl a little respect and decency, and the two of them would eventually grow quite close. Lesser would even start sneaking Carl writing materials and urge him to document his life before his execution. Carl followed through on this, detailing every gory aspect of his crimes. He wrote, quote, in my lifetime, I have murdered 21 human beings. I have committed thousands of burglaries, robberies, larcenies, arsons, and last but not least, I have committed sodomy on more than 1,000 male human beings. For all of these things, I'm not in the least bit sorry. Carl is hung on September 5th, 1930, which left him just a year to complete his autobiography. Carl would provide details of his murders in an astounding 20,000-word confession, which were eventually corroborated by local authorities. In addition to providing dates, hours, and locations of the crimes, he also provided a detailed history of his arrests. Of course, communications between law enforcement organizations back then were less advanced than they are now, and criminals frequently avoided arrest warrants by simply adopting a new identity or remaining silent. Carl had discovered this technique early in his career, and so he was detained and arrested under multiple aliases. Carl would have been 39 years old when he passed away, and nearly no one was sorry to see him die, except possibly Henry Lesser. Carl's grave 
is only identifiable by his 31614 prisoner identification number. And when asked whether Carl had any final words, he reportedly spat in the executioner's face and begged him to hurry up, saying, quote, Hurry it up, you hosier bastard. I could kill a dozen men while you're screwing around. And that is literally the end of Carl's life and his crimes. Now, the autobiography of Carl that he wrote was retained in manuscript form by Henry Lesser, who would spend the following 40 years looking for a publisher who would accept it for publication. It took Henry until 1970 for the story to be officially published under the title Killer, A Journal of a Murder. And it took him that long because the material was deemed to be simply too horrifying. Some praise the book for providing a fascinating look inside the mind of a serial killer. It has been reprinted several times, the most recent being in 2002. We also have a film based on Carl's final years, the 1996 Killer, A Diary of a Murder, starring James Wood as Carl and Robert Sharn Leonard as Henry Lesser. In 1980, Lesser gave Carl's papers to San Diego State University as archival material. And that brings us to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback or case suggestion, you can find us on Instagram at historical true crime pod, or you can send us an email at historical true crime pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.